0: hello everyone
1: welcome to our podcast it's
0: not how you start but how you finish
1: we are your co hosts solomon and jamila jefferson we want you all to know no matter the cards we've been dealt in life or the mistakes we've made
0: we will not allow our past to determine our future
1: we welcome our guest sister sheila boynton today we're so excited to have you my sister to talk about the topic of sexual abuse welcome
2: Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here and thank you for inviting me. This is a conversation that's dear to my heart. Um, So I just bless God for the invitation.
1: Can you share briefly a little bit about yourself personally and professionally? So, the
2: personal side of me, I am married. Um, December will be 12 years and I'm married to the man that God has ordained for my life in ministry, mother of two, Uh, my mom to seven. So, my life is very, very full. On a professional note, I am a speaker, I'm a therapist and life coach and founder of Soul Transformation LLC, where I provide therapy services for individuals, couples, and families. For the last 15 to 20 years, I've been providing therapeutic and counseling services to individuals seeking healing, deliverance, spiritual direction, through different topics, myriad of issues, sexual abuse being one of them, relationship problems, addiction, uh, grief and loss, family conflicts, and just providing a very non-judgmental space now through my practice where I um, seek God's help in being able to transform lives on purpose, with purpose, for purpose. I also give leadership to, and am one of the facilitators, of the Sacred Sanctuary Sexual Abuse Survivor Ministry at the Enon Tabernacle Baptist Church, which I've been doing now for over 13 years. And that's as a direct result, of course, of God leading me to that ministry, but because of my own story. So what is sexual abuse? It's interesting that um, so many people, a lot of times what they'll look at and they think it's just when someone is raped. And that is definitely it. Um, But sexual abuse defined, if you will, is fondling or unwanted sexual touching, being forced to perform sexual acts. And that also includes um, exposure to pornography, like children who are forced to look at pornography and, and adults as well, oral sex penetration, watching sexual acts, any unwanted non-consensual sexual act. Um, And one of the things that is noted um, in the work that I do as well as being a survivor is that children can't consent to sex with an adult. Right. And so, so many times those of us who are survivors, you know, I've heard individuals talk about having this guilt because it felt a certain way or the body automatically responds because the body doesn't know if this is a good touch or a bad touch. Right. And so what we do is work through that and and come to understand. So I always try to note, particularly when there's a conversation such as this, that children cannot consent to sex with an adult. You know, also um, exposure to genitals, sexual acts, any unconsensual touching. And I just keep it just that simple in a nutshell.
1: I know you mentioned you are a survivor of sexual abuse. Can you share your story, how sexual abuse impacted you?
2: During my childhood, I was sexually molested by my stepbrother and stepfather for multiple of years in an environment that I thought was pretty safe until then. I suffered in silence, right? Afraid to tell anyone because at that time, my family dynamic was such that I wanted to protect my mother. And that's one of the barriers to why, you know, folks would say, well, why don't, why didn't you tell Sheila? Why, you know, why don't people tell? Well, you know, unless you walked in those shoes, there's a lot of reasons why we don't tell. So I suffered in silence for years. In that home. And as a direct result of that, the impact that sexual abuse had on me was, you know, my self-esteem, my sense of self-worth and self-value and who I was. And mind you, this is while I'm going to church, right? While I'm going to church and being told that God says I am fearfully and wonderfully made, God would be there for me. And so as a child, I don't think I ever questioned, well, God, where would you in the middle of the night when he continues to drag me out of my bed. That wasn't until I became an adult. And so one of the things that has happened as a result of my own sexual abuse story is I began to self-medicate. I went inward, right? And I started using drugs to medicate the pain of the situation, Um, But to God be the glory, you know, because it was God over 27 and a half years ago that delivered me out of the muck and mire of addiction. And I'm clear today, now today doing ministry and, and my practice and working with men and women who share the same story, we have the same questions, we have the same challenges, but today as a survivor... You know, I say that my pain now has purpose.
1: So Rain, which is the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, states that 34% under the age of 12 are impacted by sexual abuse or victims of sexual abuse or assault. 67% ages 12 through 17 are impacted. And also 93% are known to the victim to be impacted by sexual abuse. 7% are strangers, 59% are acquaintances, and 34% are family members. And so when you had mentioned and you explained and defined and broke down the definition of sexual abuse, I'm glad you captured all of what you stated because two young girls came to me at the time of their incident that happened. They were between like 8 and 12. Now they're teenagers. And in particular, currently there's one teenager, she's closer to like 18, And she was saying that when she went to camp over the summer, when she was eight, that a female touched her breast, And then how it later came out was she was um, in a crowded hallway and mind you, she was eight and someone had touched her that same kind of way. And she started crying and panicking and she got so upset. I was so grateful that she was open and Gave her the love based on her love language and asked, would you like to seek therapy? And she was like, not right now, but she was happy that I was able, you know, as a family member to hug her and reaffirm her and to let her know that it wasn't her fault. I know in God's time, when she's ready to talk, you know, to do therapy, she will. But do you see the dynamics? Like when she was eight, this happened. And then like later in her teen years, you know, this is how it came out
2: quite often, and I know even with my own story, this happened, it started happening when I was 13 or 14. It was not until literally um, over, little over 27 years ago, right? So I'm 61 now, right? And when you do the math, you see that that's, that is a, a big gap between when the offense happened and yeah. when I started dealing with it. Because what happens is you begin to get triggered by certain things. So PTSD... Post-traumatic stress disorder, when you experience a traumatic experience such as sexual abuse, sexual assault, right, you could suppress some folk, it will say denial, right? You'll go into denial that it didn't happen. And denial, some days I say is a safe place because you may not be ready, like you saying with this young lady, to deal with it, because when you begin to deal and open the door to your healing around sexual abuse, it gets messy at first, right? I understand that not everybody is ready yet to tell the story. And so, Sheila, why won't they be ready to tell the story? Well, there's different reasons. First of all, our society is set up in a way, unfortunately, like with most isms that are looked down upon drug addiction, sexual abuse, domestic violence. Those are the isms that I say that have stigmas to them. So there's stigma behind being sexually abused. Also, there's this fear. The young lady could have a fear of who's going to believe me. The fear of not being believed and culturally. So we have to also add in there, there are cultural dynamics and the African-American community, like I'm African-American. And I remember the message that was the internal message that I was given as a child was what goes on in this house stays in this house. And so unlike now where we're teaching our children to speak out, speak up, that was not always the case. And I believe in some, they're still being told what goes on in this house so if that's the internal message that you've been given, so that automatically says don't say anything. So this young lady begins to to suffer in silence. So ideally, what would happen? They have to be in a safe environment. She may not feel where it's safe to come out with this right now because, for like for myself, survivors tend to go in protective mode. So we go into protective mode. For me, I was trying. Fourteen years old. I'm trying to protect my mother, who's being beat on a daily basis. So if I tell, this is going to perpetuate already what's happening in my home. So just don't say anything. And I know that the Lord allowed me to start working on it at a time when He knew I would be surrounded by people who would, you know, feed into me, who would speak light to me. You know, my story is I told eventually and I was not believed. And that's a very, very, very painful place to be, particularly if you tell it to someone that you believe is supposed to be the person to help you. So the messages of a young lady like that is, wait a minute, authority is what hurt me. who do I go to? She's eight. Now she's a teenager. She'll go off to college. Things will happen and she'll get triggered. You bump against her breast. For me, the smell of cologne and pretzels. Those type of things can trigger us in a place. And my recommendation for somebody like that, you know, if no one knows, then there is no way to say we'll surround her with safe people, but at least giving her that place that when she does decide to talk, that
0: God would place the safe adult in the room with her. I appreciate you today, uh, Sister Sheila. I've been doing prison ministry for well over 21 years. And I go into prison and I visit offenders. And what I found out that this one particular gentleman who's been incarcerated probably for about 13 years, he just recently told me that he was a perpetrator because I don't never ask residents why they're incarcerated but he felt trustworthy enough to me to uh, expose that to me. And he let me know that he was incarcerated for messing with a young man. And then he got deeper with it, he said, because when he was about 12 years old, he was molested by his sister. So that really blew me away. And he also advised me that during that time, which was probably about 26 years ago, he told it to his mother. And his mother told him to shut up and don't say that no more. So in other words, she told him to keep that within himself. And not knowing that today, he is just now recently crying out, he's in a program now to get help with that. So my, my question to you, Sister Sheila, is I understand that Rain says that one out of three victims it. So what that means is two out of three people do not report it. My question is, can you explain to our listeners exactly why two-thirds of two victims do not report their abuser? And in contrast, how important is it for them to report their abuser? As
2: you were talking, what I thought about, and you eventually said it, is that this gentleman most likely in statistics tell it that most perpetrators who violate particularly children have been hurt themselves. Jamila actually gave statistics and and that's always my my go to the national network as well. Pull, like so he tells his mother she says, "Don't you say that anymore." So what happens is it's unfortunate. Sometimes children can believe that this is happening in every household. I know folks would not believe in the world that we're living in today and all the education and particularly the internet. But culturally, even economically, demographics, there are some places where children, even teenagers would think that it's happening in everyone's home, that daddy touches every, you know, my neighbor, my, my girlfriend's dad touches her and the girl across the street. So there is this idea that some can think that this is a normal behavior when they've not been taught something different. Right. And so the barriers to telling the story or or telling it or coming out, if you will, is also how has that child been socialized? You know, what have they been taught to believe about this? You know, I remember a story, you know, a young lady um, and how it came out was, you know, they were at a sleepover. And they, you know, sleep over with a bunch of little girls at the neighbor's house. And the little girl, without thinking anything was wrong with it, she told everyone in the circle, oh, well, my dad does this, this, and this this," to me. And all the other little girls looked at her like, what are you talking about? Of course, the mother got involved. Fortunately, it was reported and it was revealed and the process went on. But this little girl did not know that it was not happening in her girlfriend's homes. And that came out like that. So fear is a reason. It's one of the barriers. Um, The impact on the stigma is one of the barriers. Not being believed is another barrier. Not already being in a safe place is a barrier. I wasn't in a safe place. I was watching domestic violence on a regular basis. So the messages that I got is this is the type of stuff that happens in folks' homes. But I knew something was wrong.
1: And we thank you for that because I can relate as well being impacted as a child by domestic violence and just thinking that was normal. So thank you for sharing that.
2: This is an alarming statistic. And I thank you, Sister Jamila, for um, bringing facts because I think facts matter to people. If you think about it, every 73 seconds, an American is going to be sexually assaulted. Every nine minutes. Just think we've been on maybe 20 minutes. Within this 20 minutes, every nine minutes, a child will be sexually abused. That's powerful, powerful, powerful statistics that we can't overlook. But then, you know, while we talk about the the abuse, the statistics, there is also hope. And I, you know, I know that I could be the only Bible someone reads in my story. So you're looking at a woman Um, or you're listening to a woman who has experienced sexual abuse by her stepfather and stepbrother for multiple years, God has taken that, right? And with the support of other devices, the church um, and the relationship, and here I am 27 years plus delivered from drugs, a licensed minister, a wife, a mother, a grandmother, founder of a private practice guided by the pain that I was in, that I want to be available to help other people. But that's why we thank God
1: for this forum and this platform and for you and for our church family. So can you share some practical tools and resources and scriptures to help those impacted by sexual abuse?
2: One of the major resources, of course, is my practice. That I do, but also I mentioned that I give leadership to, and that's the SAS ministry at the Enon Tabernacle Baptist Church, where we meet every first and third Wednesdays from seven to nine. We're actually still meeting via the Zoom platform because the pain of this does not go away because the pandemic is there. In fact, more people have um, began to journey with us for deliverance, and I can make the email address available for your listeners so that they can contact our website uh, at sacred sanctuary at enontab.org. All you have to do is email that you're interested, and it's for survivors only. The facilitators are survivors. The participants are survivors. It is a confidential and it's the autonomy is there even on a Zoom platform. Another resource is WAR, Women Organized Against Rape. A major resource that no matter where you are around the world, you can go on the RAIN um, website, but the National Sexual Assault Hotline also is there 24-7 and that is 800-656-HOPE. And also, so Soul Transformation, which is my practice, and because this is something that's so dear to me, I get a lot of clients who are, they present with one thing, but come to find out because of the pain and unaddressed issues with sexual abuse. You can contact me through psychology today, and I will be able to also assist. There's also a very, very, very good book that I've used probably as long as I've been doing this work and it's called The Courage to Heal. And it's particularly for sexual abuse survivors by Ellen Bass and Laura Davis, which is an awesome, awesome resource. Definitely not last and definitely not least, but the word of God is where I land when I talk about when I seek to get my own healing. And let me say this. I don't want listeners to believe that if I go to therapy, if I call the hotline, if I read this book, if I go to staff, that this is going to go away. No, we are survivors because there are some people who did not survive their sexual abuse. They went crazy. They stayed on drugs and died. And so you are a survivor in this. And my message to survivors is always it's not your fault. Knowing your listeners are out there, there is somebody, whether it's them directly their neighbor, somebody in the family, everybody knows somebody who's been impacted or affected by sexual abuse. Know that it's not your fault. Know that you are not alone. Know that you no longer have to suffer in silence. And God's word, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you. The plans are not to destroy you, but they are to prosper you and hope in a future. Jeremiah 30 and 17. His word says, but I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord because you are called an outcast. And so those scriptures remind us as survivors, we are not alone, that there is healing and that there is deliverance. Why? Because in Psalm 34, 19, he tells us a righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from them all.
1: I came across a devotion from the Bible app titled The Importance of the Experience, The Survivor's Guide by Becca Folks, And something that stood out to me, she talked about forgiveness and she has stated in one of the sections titled Forgiveness One, she says, I can't change the fact that I went through molestation. I can't change the fact that it resulted in years of being angry, aggressive, and mean. I can't change the fact that I was quiet about it for nearly 10 years, but I can't accept that these things happen. Not for me to suffer with the memories and the wounds, for me to develop strength and resilience. From my experience came a valuable lesson. It propelled me to this place I am in now. I choose to forgive and you can too. And she states, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can't, and the wisdom to know the difference. And then she said, to forgive is a choice. I know you have every reason to remain upset and angry and stay full of resentment. Your feelings are justified, but how will God get the glory through you, the vessel, if you are unforgiving? The fire comes not to consume you, but to refine and showcase God's glory in you. And so one of the scriptures was Matthew 6, 14 through 15 about forgiveness. And she said, I am good enough. I am not damaged goods. I am a conqueror. I am the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. I now see me as he sees me, so I will now love me as he loves me. God is with me always. I win. I am free. Every bloom and flower needs dirt to grow. By Becca Folk.
0: Amen.
1: Thank you. This was so powerful. We learned so much.
0: I find out that God allows us to go through certain things so we can help somebody else come out of it. And I'm, and I'm reminded not too long ago, pastors, priest on, it had to happen that way. Yeah. God, in his own wisdom, because Isaiah 55 let us know that his ways are higher than ours. So sometimes we wonder why we go through this, why we go through that. But when it's all said and done, God reveals God's self through us, through our pain and our hurt. Overall, God gets the glory out of it by us helping somebody else come out of what we've already been through.
1: So Sister Sheila, do you have any closing comments or thoughts before we wrap up?
2: I just want to thank you for the opportunity. And I think one of the most powerful, aside from the word of God, most powerful vehicles is to normalize the conversation around sexual abuse, to make it as common as talking about shopping, that the more we talk about it, teaching our children inappropriateness and more so not just good touch, bad touch, but that it's okay to come to us and leaving the door open for communication. The moment that child can understand even being able to, they may not be able to talk, but there's ways to communicate because the argument is always, well, when do I start talking about this to my child? The moment you think about it, if you're thinking about it, That's the moment to start talking about your child. Unfortunately, we have folks who are hurting babies and we have folks who are hurting two and three-year-olds. It's no longer just a conversation around, oh, tell us about good touch, bad touch. No, tell us about everything and allowing our young people, the adults in our lives as well, who are hurting, to know that, you know what, you are not alone. So the hashtag me too. um, Toronto was a part of our ministry, before it got to where it is now. And I bless God. And so that's the whole thing. When we're able to say to someone, you know, me too. And people feeling like they are not alone. And it is correct with the name of your, your ministry and your podcast. It's not how you start, but how you finish. And that if you have other people at the finish line with you, that God will get the glory Thing that goes on in our lives because as much as we don't want to think about it, or God can orchestrate and allow things to happen in our lives. Because I don't know if I would be the awesome woman of God I am today if it were not for all the pain and suffering that I've gone through. Because I can give you all of my degrees and I can tell you about my education, and so I'm a licensed social worker and i a master's of. I've gone to seminary and I'm a therapist and I have my own practice and and I do all those things. But when I sit down with you and tell you what i've gone through and i do that in these types of platforms and tell you how god has brought me through it that speaks more volumes than the initials in front of my name or in the back of my name so if there are any of your listeners are seeking again to get help or they may not even know if they're ready but just need to tell somebody their story or need a safe place to go. The SAS ministry is available. You can email again through sacred sanctuary at enontab.org. I'm asking folks to reach out to Sheila Boynton via psychology today. My practice is soul transformation, LLC. And know that you are not alone, that there is victory in your story. And I promise you, if he did it for me, he can do it for you.
1: Amen. Praise God. We are so grateful to the Lord to have you today. We learned so much. We thank God. May he continue to bless your ministry and all that you do for God's glory.
0: God bless you, my sister. That's all I can say. Thank you. God bless you as well.
1: No matter the cards we've been dealt in life or the mistakes we have made it does not define who we are or where we are going it is just a part of our story and the journey that god has us on to not only learn from these different experiences but to sometimes be able to help support, encourage, and inspire others who may be going through similar situations. My husband and I have learned this to be true because of our different life experiences, which have led us in wanting to continue to share our stories along with others to know it is not how you start, but how you finish.